0: Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast. With your host, Brett Brett, Brett Gilliland. Brett Gilliland, Visionary Wealth Advisory The Circuit of Success Podcast. Let's start
1: the show. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got Gerard Kraft with me. Gerard, what's going on, my man? How are you?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: You probably don't know this because I don't even know if you check your own Instagram messages, (laughs) but I sent you a message in April of 2018. Really? I did. That's
0: crazy. And now here
1: we are. It's oh, wow. January of 2024. Well, I apologize. That's all right, man.
0: You're a busy I'm not guy. I'm good at checking my like, normal messages, you know, <laughs> my emails, my texts.
1: I, I like to share those messages because it's life's about persistency, as you know, man. Yeah. You guys stay pleasantly persistent. But our uh, mutual friend, Katie Collier, introduced the two of us. Yeah, thank and, you, uh, Katie. Thank you, Katie, for sure. Why don't you explain to people that are watching this right now, where are we at right now?
0: Uh, So we are at NODA, which stands for None of the Above. It's our speakeasy here at the City Foundry, but we're kind of through some tunnels in the basement, hidden away.
1: It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Do we share how we get down here, or is that kind of a secret?
0: Uh, You can, yeah, I mean, there's a a door up at the top on Foundry Way with uh, a red light above, and if that light is on, then you can pop in and, uh, you know... Have a uh, hopefully we have some some space.
1: I love it. Yeah. And if it's not on, it means you're just not open or does it means it's full?
0: Yeah, it means we're not open. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, hey, man, let's dive in if we can and uh, give our listeners a little lay of the land. I told you I'd start with kind of what's your backstory of what's made you the man you are today.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, grew up in Washington, D.C. And, yeah. Um, you know, got into far too much trouble as a kid and ended up uh, finishing school, I should say, out in uh, northern Idaho at a, uh, at a school for, you know, troubled kids. And when I was there, I got to do sort of an apprenticeship with a photographer and so i started getting really into snowboard photography we were up in the mountains so it was kind of yeah. perfect for all of that i had always been interested in photography and done a lot uh growing up and so got to really you know see kind of the professional side of it and you know we were doing everything from skiing and snowboarding to wakeboarding uh, and skateboarding in, in the summer And then I moved to Salt Lake City after that school to go to college and to continue my photography. And while I was there, I ended up dropping out of college. Um, And you see a pattern of school not working (laughs) out for me. Um, But I took a job just kind of in the morning. I took a job washing cars and at night, I took a job washing dishes and, you know, still was doing my photography yeah. and everything. But the photography wasn't really paying any money. It was, you know, <laughs> right.
1: uh, hobby.
0: yeah, it was like a trade stuff, trying to get in the door with different professional photo- uh snowboarders and stuff like that. But really fell in love with the kitchen when I was in there. And a uh career advisor told me I should think about uh, going to culinary school. And so I went to uh, Salt Lake City Community College mm-hmm. and studied culinary arts while I was still kind of working at this this place called Fats Grill. I mean, super high-end, luxury, <laughs> uh, nothing like Noda. This was—although it was a very clean, uh, you know, bar with pool hall, uh, you know, pool tables and— um but, but it was it was definitely not a, a real refined spot. Right. And
1: didn't you go on to work at one of the best restaurants in San Fran and some other places around the country?
0: I did not go to San Francisco. Oh, okay. So I uh, from there, I actually went and uh, did a work study at the Ritz in Paris and uh, went out to Los Angeles to the uh, Chateau Marmont that's, Hotel. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Ah, about gotcha. Yep. Yeah. And so I was a sous chef out at the Chateau Marmont um and stayed at a place in New Jersey for a while called the Ryland Inn which was kind of on a 5 acre organic uh farm and uh just outside of New York City so it was a relay chateau property um all tasting menus and i think that was about the the scariest place i ever <laughs> ever worked um what but made it, it was scary? amazing it was just a very intense uh atmosphere and uh you know very driven people you know all the people that worked there are all you know super successful today you know yeah. so I was I was definitely in over my head but you know in the best kind of way right yeah. yeah so did you look to those guys and gals
1: for leadership and advice or was it cutthroat and it didn't work that way like what what was the environment like in a restaurant like that
0: yeah I mean they, they were all like pretty cutthroat but it was you know uh you know, everybody was helpful, and uh, as long as you were trying and and pushing, and uh, you know, so I, everywhere you went, you were just trying to kind of learn as much as as humanly possible.
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna go back to when you went um, out from from the east coast to the west coast to finish school. Like, what was it about you, or maybe your upbringing? I don't know what it is, but I'm always fascinated by guys that and guys and gals that that do something like that and have a pretty dramatic, you know event happened and then all of a sudden now you fast forward where you're at in 2024 right like what do you think it was specifically about you that made you go a different route than maybe you could have gone
0: I don't know you know I think I've always been you know a fan of the road less traveled Mm -hmm. and uh and I don't know if that made all the difference you know but uh uh I've definitely always appreciated the struggle and I, I don't know why that is, because it's probably a horrible trait, <laughs> probably something <laughs> like I should talk drag. to a therapist about. <laughs> but, uh, but I you know, I always wanted to, you know, do things on my own and, um, you know, do things the hard way for some reason. And, you know, I think when I was looking to finally open a restaurant, I didn't want to go back. You know, my old family's from New York City and D.C., and I didn't want to go back there and kind of fail in Uh, front of everybody I kind of wanted to you know branch out on my own do my own thing Um, and again you know I it it worked out somehow but god uh, probably not the smartest way you know I could have opened in New York City around family and uh, yeah you know had all sorts of family friends coming in but uh, thankfully St. Louis really welcomed me so and talk about that so what
1: brought you to St. Louis I read that story I think that's pretty cool
0: yeah, I mean, it was, uh, again, I was 25 years old, so uh, I look at 25-year-olds now, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what the hell was like, I Like, how was I 25? Um, you know, so, you know, wasn't always thinking entirely clearly, but, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do something on my own. I wanted to get out, and, you know, I had seen some stuff in, I think, like, Bon Appetit magazine or something like that about st louis and i think an american place had just opened uh monarch restaurant was was doing really great and i had just read about kevin nashen buying sydney street cafe and he had just come from like uh, martin baristegui in spain and danielle blue in new york and so i was like oh that's kind of a cool mm-hmm. city and i i used to have a weird hobby of I still have a weird hobby of staying up late and looking at real estate Mm. and uh, just kind of started looking at real estate in St. Louis and stumbled Mm. upon this ad that was a wine bar for sale, which looking back at Niche, Niche was not, it was dirt floors, hole in the ground, no electricity. (laughs) I was like, how is this a wine bar? (laughs) Um, But yeah, then I uh, just kind of, Came here on uh, New Year's Day uh, in 2005, and oh. I I literally signed it on the spot. And I remember my brother like, "Do you have a lawyer? What are you What are you doing? What's a lawyer? What are you there for?" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thankfully, I had my brother uh, investing and on my side because he was able to at least was he local at all steer me. No, my brother okay. lives in London. Okay, but he was at least able to to you know. Who's your Help business, me make some some smart decisions. my brother's like you, he's in finance okay. so that's funny yeah
1: yeah so what I mean, when you think about that that move did you did you picture success in your mind or was that just something you're like, this is my passion, I'm gonna follow it and then it's success has happened like what like what was it like if you look back to the twenty five year old Gerard?
0: I think I always envisioned success, but I think you know that vision of success is is continually changing right you know i think my my first vision of success was you know a successful neighborhood restaurant and uh you know i had been eating a lot at a restaurant called prune in new york city and there was a place called the tasting room in new york and these were kind of like very small but but kind of progressive and uh different restaurants and and that's kind of the between that and kind of what was going on in some of the small restaurants in paris at the time and uh in spain you know that's kind of where i was where i was looking to i think what happened was a lot different and you know i think uh i i didn't quite understand i think the demographics that i was going to be serving when when we opened the issue i thought i thought we were going to be serving a lot of younger people you know uh young professionals and you go to new york what what do you see in yeah. a Hip new restaurant, yeah. and I think I actually got a much older clientele yeah. coming from uh, Ladue and uh, you know the suburbs, yeah. and and not entirely from my area, and 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 I think there there was definitely a little bit of a of a struggle in and what people wanted out of us and what we were actually doing.
1: Yeah, isn't it funny when you think you get this business plan and, yeah. and what's you think's gonna happen, it, it rarely ever works that way.
0: Yeah, so we were successful, Yeah. but not in the way that we had planned on yeah. being successful. Yeah.
1: So what do you think, um, being the entrepreneur that you are in places like this, which is amazing, I absolutely love this, and the walk down here is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I'm not just saying that. Um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, what, what do you think that you can share from a restaurant world to the to the business person or the you know the lawyer, the whoever's watching this right now, what do you see the similarities that can be learned from your world into the business world?
0: Oh my God. I mean, you know, we are in the business world. So 100%, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I think it's all applicable, really, you yeah. know, and I think uh flip that around a bit. I have learned a lot from the quote-unquote business world mm-hmm. and I think it was in 2012 we were opening Pasteria uh which was our fourth restaurant at the time and I was really really struggling and I was struggling to to really manage them all they were all doing really well yeah. um but all of a sudden I was managing four places and figured out I couldn't really micromanage four places yeah and and I didn't quite see it like that. I just at the time saw it as everybody sucked. <laughs> and and why was everybody sucking and, and not doing yeah. what they were supposed to do? And you know, you know, after a little bit came to the realization it was because I sucked.
1: You gotta within.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I sucked. I was a horrible manager. And uh, I had never really learned how to to manage, right? You know, like in a restaurant when you're being trained as a chef at least back then it was you know again it was very cutthroat it was very kind of military brigade system it was you know Uh, i'm the chef yes chef uh you know if i tell you to do something you better fucking do it and you better do it fast and you better do it right or i'm gonna be pissed (laughs) you know and you you know it it was a lot of leading out of fear and and stuff and you know i had i read read this book called delivering happiness if mm, you yeah. ever read that yeah. one Sean Anchor maybe Tony uh Shea, okay who uh founded I, don't, I never know if i'm saying his last name right but founded zappos Oh yeah 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 and uh and you know that that just clicked all the I mean it was, it was sometimes you read a book right when you need to read a book yeah. and that was that book and it uh then introduced me to uh, um, tribal leadership. And so tribal leadership then kind of like gave that a voice, gave that a language, you know, and, you know, we started to talk about, you know, uh, we, right, you know, and, and your language and, and how the way you speak really kind of affects, you know, everybody around you and it also affects The way that you're acting, right? So everything's kind of like a language, and so you know, going from I to we was the biggest shift in our culture, and I think that's the most the culture part of it's the most applicable part across the board.
1: I love that man because it's so true. We talk about our firm, you know, is it my firm, is it our firm, and and my business partner and I, we're we're very locked in on that one because people want to be a part of something, right? I mean, and, and at what point did you believe in? Hiring people, I look back at the amazing Claire back there who helped set all this <laughs> up. Hi, Claire, and uh, like in believing in other people and letting go, right? Because that was a big one for me. Is when you started having multiple teammates, is you know coming from the janitor to the CEO, and now you've got all these people. Like, at what point was it for you? What was the aha moment? Do you do you recall that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this was the aha moment. I mean, I was so stressed out. I was stressed out. Uh, seriously overweight uh just angry hmm. and uh you yeah, i was just overall miserable and i knew i think you know in reading this stuff you knew that i had to do a better job at training people right yeah and you know it started it started with me but then you know as we kind of started to come together as a group we realized that if we can train people the right way you know and if we can uh instill our values across everybody then everybody can kind of be thought leaders everybody can kind of start to make their own decisions based on those values right and and i think that that's the real key was kind of like distilling our core values figuring out what made us tick yeah and then maybe how to teach people how to think like that. Do you articulate a more. those
1: values to people? like would, would they be able to say, hey maybe they're on the wall or whatever like
0: they're, they're not on the wall. we, we, we do our best <laughs> and we, we keep it pretty pretty simple. We only have yeah. five five core values. Yeah. so that's awesome. Yeah. but
1: they can articulate those, which is a big deal. So how, how do you then adapt to change? So that was a change right So now hey, I'm moving forward, I've got these amazing people. I'm gonna be a better boss. How did you adapt to change now? to take it to the level you've taken it to today.
0: Yeah, I think that was kind of a one foot in front of the other. You know, I think I came back from, you know, I, at that time I was on this long flight and uh, came back from this trip, you know, just charged, right? And you know, I'm, Let's go. We're going to change everything <laughs> overnight. <laughs> right, and, exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, quickly realized that that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think when I told our now director of service uh, but she was a, a server at the time. Mm-hmm. I told her that we were, you know, gonna be making these changes, she just laughed. Yeah, she yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Believe when I see it, dude. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And rightly so, right? Yeah. You know. Well, but
1: I think you gotta show up every day, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think about when growing a business is even on the days you don't wanna show up, you show up.
0: And you gotta walk the walk, you know. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. So again, change, talk about COVID, man. That that had to be of any business, that had to be one of the biggest people I think but in hospitality to make a change right during all that. What what did you learn as a leader, as an owner, as an entrepreneur, as a dad? Like what did you learn during that time frame?
0: During COVID? Yeah. Oh my god. Um God, that was really horrible, wasn't it? Yeah. Um No, I you know, I think we were fortunately you know, hitting hitting peak culture. At that time, which was awesome because it really like, it. you know it really- no I really mean it was awesome because it it really uh everybody was working so well together, and I think we needed that, right we yeah. needed that to get through we needed everybody kind of you know firing on all cylinders, thinking about everybody else, and uh you know thinking about ourselves as as one large team, and I think that's what really you know if 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 covid taught me anything is that that works yeah <laughs> you know and that that's really important and you saw i think a lot of other businesses all of a sudden trying to kind of scramble uh you know to to work on this yeah. culture thing uh when all their employees left yeah. you know and culture i think we huge. were in a great great position um because of that
1: you know, it's funny you talk about that culture is during COVID for us, it was, you know, being in the the finance world, we were able to obviously have conference calls and Zoom calls and do all that stuff with clients. But, you know, as a, as a leader, we had to make a decision that people weren't going to come in the office for a while. And by about July, I think it was July of 2020, so only three or four months into this, our culture said to us, we want to be back together, you know? And so it's like it was starting to have a negative effect by not being sure. together on us, right? And so it was cool to be able to make that change and be like, all right sign this form every day. We're not taking responsibility if you show up and get sick because nobody knew at that time. And yeah. people started showing back up. And it was amazing how that culture and those values and that connection was super important to people yeah. that made our our culture start to go in, in the right direction again, which was a big moment.
0: Yeah, I think we kind of let everybody take it the way they they were ready to take it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I think there were people that were ready to come back and, and, and work and we all kind of you know, did that. And yeah. we tried to do that in the safest way possible and, and, uh, you know, worked a lot with, you know, a lot of the community leaders, the doctors in the area, they were kind of advising us and, in in giving us good Intel on, on yeah. how we could maybe do it more safely and, uh, trying to help our friends do the exact same yeah. things. And, you know, I think, uh, again, we, we, we had a lot of voices on the team and, uh, we all worked together really well to kind of push ourselves yeah. through a really, really rough time.
1: So, uh, on the adapting to change, um, talk about needs. You, you've talked about the restaurant and, and you decided to close it when it was booming, right? Successful. Yeah. And so, again, last night I'm doing my work, I'm researching you, and I know the story, right? I was in St. Louis when that happened, and, and like, hey, there's a successful restaurant closed. And you normally hear the other way, right? <laughs> so, it's a head scratcher as a business yeah. leader. This thing's working. The guy had the guts to go out there and close a successful restaurant. Walk me through that. <laughs> what the hell was going on in your mind when that happened?
0: Uh, um, you know, I think niche was always tough, right? And niche was a very tough restaurant to operate. And, you know, we started in 2005, and I think we closed it in, in what, 2017, Um You know, so that was a very long run for that restaurant. It was a very personal Mm -hmm. restaurant. And, you know, I know that I had just passed the reins off in 2015 as chef to Nate Hereford, who now has the successful Chicken Scratch restaurant. Um, And I just, you know, it was, it was, it was, it's such a good point that I never really wanted this this restaurant to start falling backwards and i never wanted to you know be 10 years down the road from there with everybody being like oh yeah there's there's niche it's still there you know like same old thing it's not the hot spot anymore or whatever you know i just i i i wanted it to you know i wanted the legacy of niche uh you know to to end right there it was kind of like that that That's moment, cool. we had won the James Beard Award two yeah. years before. It was just kind of, it just felt like that time.
1: Yeah. Well, it takes some guts, man. Well, and, I don't know it, if it's guts. Yeah, well, <laughs> Whatever you I know, want to call a... it, I think it, it is amazing. But, but you're right. It's like we were talking about our, you know, you have a senior, I have a senior, is it'd be like holding our kids back, right? Not letting them go. And I think your decision to close that was probably has catapulted you into another level of belief and growth and expectations. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's just kind of – it's it's allowed us to change what we do and what I do specifically yeah. for the company, you know, as opposed to, you know, being on the line or or whatever on, yeah. on such a regular basis um, and kind of, you know, traveling to represent niche around the country, which I was doing all the time. Uh, you know, this allowed me to kind of really be the CEO of the company yeah. and actually – do the things that I needed to do to, to grow the company and to, you know, uh, give back to our investors and, and, and help us get to yeah. the next level.
1: How hard was it for you to leave the kitchen and get into, again, the, the boardroom, if you will, how hard was that for you?
0: It's still hard. Yeah. yeah that's your passion. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's your baby. I, I enjoy cooking. Yeah. I really do. And, um, I wouldn't say I'm the best CEO in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I know there there's there's far better than right. than me out there. I'm constantly trying, but you know, it, it's tough to to step away and just kind of do what you need to do at the time versus what you want to do at the time.
1: So, talk about building brand. Uh, obviously the, the, the niche group because how many restaurants total are there right now? God.
0: Well, we have some shifting going on right now, yeah. so it's it's messing this with will, this my will air count the end of January. A little <laughs> bit, you know, we've uh Cinder House uh, yeah. has closed. Um and Rockwell, it's my favorite chicken Close. sandwich downtown here. The Peary Peary, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't know what
1: that is, but it's some good stuff. <laughs> I do uh, a meeting Portuguese. there once a quarter. I yeah, every, every quarter I do a meeting there, an offsite retreat. So anybody listening, take your team offsite. You go somewhere, you learn, you you think, you strategize. But we always went there, and that's a chicken sandwich I had every time. But yeah, no,
0: right. I house is one of my favorite places. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it's business. We yeah. uh. You know, we had a five-year contract, and, uh, you know, they're owned by uh, Caesars Palace. Okay. And, you know, they want to do something, I think, a little more Vegasy, Okay. And, you know. It's
1: not your style
0: well i you know i it's also just not me i'm not i'm not from vegas <laughs> right. you know I, I'm, uh, not I'm not guy. a vegas restaurant uh,
1: that's funny uh but a uh, brands for uh, what strategies maybe mindset thoughts do you have when you think about your brands you name your brands you design your brands what 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 does that look like what's that process look like for you
0: yeah so i a lot of research you know we really want to kind of dive into that world uh whatever that might be And, um, you know, so for the, you know, craft cocktail world, fortunately, it's one that we've been in for a long time because taste, uh, you know, was one of the, one of the, you know, kind of original craft cocktail bars in the country. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was, you know, there was a couple dozen at the time that we, that we opened. So, um, really kind of immersing ourselves in that experience and just kind of going through all the details you know what 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 does the menu look like what do people really enjoy what do people want is this a you know luxurious experience or is it a kind of divey experience is this you know which this is decidedly luxurious um you know how do we want the service to be how do we want the the servers to to dress how do we want uh Mm. the ice to look, what is the lighting? You know, I mean, this. We we try to really dive into every little piece of that restaurant yeah. in that genre uh, to try to get it right.
1: Big ice or little ice for the bourbon?
0: For me, no ice. No but, ice. Uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> but uh, you know, it, for if I'm drinking gin and soda, uh, I have a thing where I actually don't like the big ice cube because I kind of want it to to keep melting a a little bit bit. yeah. yeah so i think the big ice has its place yeah you know uh when you don't want any dilution you just want it kind of cold yeah uh, but if you want to kind of dilute it, I like the I little like ice. the little yeah. ice. I'm yeah. a
1: big ice guy in the bourbon.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, not that you really care, but um, <laughs> I so, always care. Uh, so uh, locations. So I think for me, we have eight office locations, and I think you know the hardest part is when you had one, you could walk to go get a cup of water and and touch everybody in your company. Right now with eight locations, you can't do that, and you no. may go months right without seeing somebody. So how do you one touch everybody in in the company, but then number two, how do you uh, expect the the customer service to be this, not necessarily the same, but high value, high customer service at all the locations.
0: Yeah. I mean, number one, your manager is everything. Yeah. Right. Your your GM is, is the place, whether you, whether whether you think you're the place or or not like that, your (laughs) your GM is, is the person for better or worse. So, you know, hiring that person's huge. Um, you know i think always trying to keep communication channels open somehow something that we've always kind of worked on and you know we've we've used different things like the local company here bonfire um or even just kind of like whatsapp threads mm-hmm. stuff like that to really try to to keep that connection going you know so even if you can't you know be there in person like yeah. for instance nashville i i can only get there usually for one week every five weeks used to be once a month now it's every five weeks um you know so you you still have to kind of keep some dialogue and so you know and i'll I'll go through different things where i'll set up uh one-on-ones you know phone calls or group phone calls with different people to try to again start talking about food talk about dishes let's talk Mm -hmm. about wine um Let's talk about service, let's talk about finance, yeah, you know, so I try to connect with people at different levels at different times too, so I don't want it to always be like just me calling yeah, about so why scripted, the PL list sucks yeah. right. uh, but you know I want it to be like, yo you know let's let's talk about Emilia Romagna, yeah. let's talk about food yeah. and
1: how how much do you let them decide what's on the menu
0: a lot? You have a lot lot of leeway um you know again you' you're you're hiring professionals, and yeah. um you know, I think honesty is one of our core values, and I think that's where you know we get the these conversations going yeah. right you know we we're all very honest with each other about what's working, what's not working, what's good, what's not good, uh you know, we added hospitality into those uh core values because i think you know in the early days i was not so nice about how honest i was yeah. about everything more delivery uh yeah yeah, yeah. way better delivery and <laughs> working on your honesty right? yeah, yeah but you majority. know uh but it you know when we when we first shifted our culture and we were trying to kind of like soften the culture like that honesty piece started to go away for a little bit yeah. and that we realized how crucial that piece is and it's really hard for people to to come to if they're coming from somewhere else yep. it's hard for them to hear all that honesty yep. and it's hard for them to give all that honesty but yeah i think that piece is critical when if, you have yeah. multiple
1: yeah the feedback's big right and, yeah. if, and if you're not to the feedback as a leader they're not gonna they're not gonna bring it up to you as well yeah which is no. tough
0: you gotta. It's a. This Are you is, good with that? This is a fair game over here. You <laughs> exactly. know, this is uh, when when you say we, you know, yeah. that means that we everybody that. should be honest. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. a crappy CEO and yeah. somebody wants to tell you, you know, why you gotta listen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and not respond. Right. Listen. Yeah. Without response. Um. So if I followed you around, my boy Matt over here follows you around with cameras. Let's say for you know the next week. What what am I gonna see day in and day out? that that Gerard Kraft is not missing?
0: That I am not missing. Yeah. Are there daily
1: habits for you that are like kind of non-negotiables? Uh,
0: coffee. <laughs> A lot of coffee. coffee. I have to have three cups of coffee before I do anything in the day. Okay. Um, you know, I st- go through every single morning and, and check the shift notes. And so I see, you know, what happened in every single restaurant the night before from sales to to you know uh who might be in that we know what kind of regulars were in uh you know anything bad that happened yeah. in that service uh oh, are they
1: making notes that you know John and Sally were mm-hmm. in and they yeah. okay, so that
0: just shows up, yep, yeah. so it it at the end of every night or a- end of every shift uh each manager puts in their shift notes, okay. and so again that goes sales that goes. Uh, you know, and just what happened, Yeah, you know, give me, give me a synopsis of, of what went down last night.
1: And what does that do for you in that moment? Do do you do anything with that information? Or is that more of just let's, let's watch this, keep an eye on it, or does it actually change your daily,
0: uh, Yeah, Some things might need a a direct follow-up, um, you know, or quick, quick conversation. You're like, what the hell? What the hell happened (laughs) last night? Um you know uh or it's just starting to kind of see patterns you know this where you really uh you know just start to get a feel for for what's going on you might say hey i need to spend i think i need to spend a little more time in this restaurant Right. right i need to to shift more of my energy over here um you know yeah so i think that that always kind of like starts my day with the direction then i usually look at my calendar um which I usually do right before I go to sleep so I can set yeah. five million alarms, um, <laughs> because, because my memory is really, right. really bad. So I need 5 million alarms through the day to, to remind me that I have something else after. But, uh, yeah. And then I, then I usually kind of head into, to either my office, which is over at Bowood, uh, or kind of pop into one of the restaurants yeah. and, so is it exercise,
1: there. eating? Is that a? I mean, obviously, the restaurant you eat whatever the heck you want, but <laughs> is that is that have to be a focus for you?
0: Uh, yeah, you know. So, I try to work out every other day, yep. at, at a minimum, and you know that's usually on like a stationary bike trainer. Or, uh, I live on some mountain bike trails, so you know when the weather is a little nicer, yeah. I try to try to pop out on the trails, nice. um, get outside a little bit. But but that's definitely important. And when I'm not doing that, it's bad.
1: Yeah. Need to get out. Need to get <laughs> yeah. moving. You got to keep yeah. your body moving. Yeah. Do you have any of those moments, like I hate to call them pinch me moments, but where you kind of like you slow down and think about some of the things that you're doing and some of the situations you find yourself in now from from where you've come from to where you're at now – because I I try to do that right of like like this for me this is freaking cool like this is really cool to do this these are pinch me moments is what I would call them like do you have any of those moments and do you slow down and appreciate them enough?
0: You know I'm I'm pretty hard on myself yeah uh so you know I I'm very grateful for everything yeah uh but you know I think it's really hard to kind of look back and just be like oh this is awesome yeah. when when something's currently not awesome right you're like you know and there's kind of always something that is currently not awesome (laughs) uh so every now and then i definitely try to do that uh you know but it's tough i i'm i do some stuff with uh for team usa with boku store oh cool and and those are usually pinch me moments because i'm like oh my god What is going on? Thomas Keller's over there. Daniel Bluth's over there. Like, Paul Bartolotta's over there. Like, you know, we're all just talking. and That's cool. So sometimes, you know, I get in those moments where I'm like, I probably shouldn't be here, but somehow I am. am. (laughs) Yeah, which is awesome. Can I give you an exercise homework? Uh-huh, yeah.
1: So I do every 90 days I do what's called a gratitude worksheet. I go Oh, you have picked you take a lot of pictures? Yeah. So I go through every 90 days, the calendar quarter so just got done. I go through and look at every picture I took the last 90 days and I actually write down in my journal like what I did. Like, hey, I'm sitting over here at this thing, right for Team USA. Pretty cool. I I did this. I had dinner with friends here. And so For me, it helps me every 90 days to look back on those things that normally I don't look back on my pictures, right? And you just take them and then you never look at them again. But what it's helped me over the last four or five years is to slow down, to speed up, but slow down so I can look at all the things to be grateful for. And I find myself in moments like this knowing I can't wait to write this down on March 31st that I sat with Gerard Kraft and we had an awesome kick-ass podcast, right? Like, it helps
0: me be in the moment. So. That's cool. For whatever that's yeah, worth. I should definitely try that maybe out. Maybe give it a shot. I'll text yeah. you
1: March 31st and tell you to look at your camera. <laughs> um, any moments for you stick out where you like this failure or this this thing that wasn't going well that sticks out for you that you want to share that that you could share that it had a really big moment and defining moment for you?
0: Oh my god, how many how many failure how moments do, we do we have? I have? <laughs> you know, so failure is one of our core values.
1: Okay. Uh, I love that.
0: Yeah, well embracing it and uh and and not to say you know failing over and over at the same same thing, but but you know we we all really learn from our failures, yeah. right? You know I think uh, I, I heard somebody talking recently about you know kids who maybe uh, everything was easy for them in mm-hmm. high school or something, yeah, right? Like right. A, you know a guy who you know uh, you know always had a date who you know a captain of the football team whatever <laughs> right. often struggle later in life yep. because they just they just never had to like hustle or figure it out to like get to that
1: yep.
0: next level and uh so so i think so many of the failures in my life so maybe maybe I'm more successful because I've failed so damn much. <laughs> it's like, all right, <laughs> uh, let's give this guy a break. Yeah, you know, and and uh, increasingly and still do. So I think failures are always uh, always huge. You know, I think niche niche was a huge lesson in failure. And, you know, I think niche, everybody looked at niche as this, like, trajectory from 2005 to, you know, James Beard Award, Food and Wine, Best New Chef, uh and just kind of like just kept seeing these things rack up but i think definitely there were two times that we were hairs away from going out of business Mm. that i was talking to people in new york and dc about jobs um you know so like i have been (laughs) you know 2008 financial crisis uh was was definitely you know it was actually probably 2010 right so like the tail and yeah. when everything i feel like in st louis was was way harder um and they had just shut our highway down uh mm-hmm. highway yeah. 40 which is like the main way to get to niche back yeah. then and uh and it was brutal and you know i think working working our way through that you know taught us a lot. I mean, it taught me a lot about finance because because yep. I think I did not understand finances as, as well as I needed to uh, at that point. And uh, you know, I you you learn so many of these lessons, and we call a lot of these things failure capital. Mm. And uh, you know, one of, one of our biggest failure capitals was Pirano, which we're reopening yeah. now. Yeah and it's like this this stock that you have all these failures are things to build on later so pirano didn't make it downtown uh you know but here we are seven years later about to open you know in a few months and to pair with another one um you know i think it's sometimes things don't happen the way they're supposed to happen because of the time right you know maybe it was too soon um or something like that, you know? So I don't know. I stack all my failures away in a file that I can kind of reach back to at any point in time.
1: Would you say you're a guy that, do you dwell on the failure for a long time, or is it kind of bounce? Because I call it the bounce back theory, right? If I get bad news, I go to my journal, I mean, literally, it could be within the hour of like, all right, here's how I'm going to get out of this thing, right? And I try to create a plan. I'm a planner, right? So I try to create a plan of how I'm going to get out of that. Is that something that you do? Or are you more of a, yeah, maybe I'll let it sit there for a while and eventually I'll think of something? Or like, wh- how does
0: that work for you? No, I'm a fighter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the same way, right? You're yeah, just going to put I'm a plan all, together I'm and fight. Let's go. Going after it yeah. in some way, in some way, shape. Probably sometimes I should, probably should step back, (laughs) take a deeper breath and, uh, you know, and, and really think it through. But, you know, I think in those moments, you know, the fight or flight kind of comes out and you start going for it. You're
1: confirming what I'm saying. The bounce back theory is what I call it. Right. Because the, I've seen it now for 22 years in business now, 300. And when I say earlier, 369 interviews later, like the most successful people bounce back immediately, right? They don't dwell on it. They don't have a pity party. They just get up and they go and they fight. And whether that's fighting or putting your plan together, whatever it is, you got to go take action and go make things happen. And and that's what again I've seen for two decades now. The most successful people don't dwell on it; they go make it happen. So
0: I definitely have a little private pity party. Absolutely, for say a couple <laughs> cuss words. Yeah. You know, get pissed <laughs> off.
1: Uh, let's talk about work-life integration. And most people laugh when I say that because there's work-life balance. I don't believe in that. And there's work-life integration, right? So you're yeah. opening a new place. There's no balance, man. You're you're probably here doing a lot of stuff, right? So how do you work on that work life integration part in your life?
0: Yeah, you know, uh I don't believe in work life balance. I don't think that's a Yeah. It's not that I don't believe or want it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just don't know that it's always entirely possible. You know, you're for sure. Uh I and I hate for people to tell people that it is right, right, like oh yeah, you can be super successful and do all these things, but uh, but you're also only going to work eight hours a day, and <laughs> like, yeah, right. like that's never going to happen. No. I mean, I'm sure it does, yeah, occasionally, but it's it's definitely the exception of the rule. And uh, I don't know, you know, I try to uh, do things that that I enjoy doing. I enjoy creating, you know, I really enjoy this yeah. this work um i enjoy the people that i get to to work with um you know and then i try to you know like my business partner and i'll pretty much do our meetings like on a bike or something like that so you know that's always a a great way to do it i I met up with somebody for a meeting yesterday on a bike and it was awesome um you know so you know i would say to your point of integration that's kind of one of those those types of moments but uh Or, you know, uh, is some of the things I get to do, you know, some of the the boards I join or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, involve some some travel to some really cool places and, uh, you know, uh, or events, you know, in really cool places. So I don't know, you know, try to have fun with it uh, at the same time. But, you know, it's. You know, it's it's what you choose in life. I don't think everybody mm-hmm. needs to choose that, and I don't think it is. You know, I don't think being an entrepreneur is for as you know is not for everybody. No, is and that's there.
1: where that balance is BS, right? Because again, you could have. I just got back from a seven or eight days on vacation my work life balance was not there was no work yeah. right all family and then but then when you got something going on, you could have a lot more work than family time so I agree i think it's b s and that's why I like the integration part what how do you how do you personally continue your passion your drive, your purpose staying a student of the game how do you how do you do that
0: uh one, I read a lot you know uh and that's everything from you know cookbooks to uh to uh leadership books and you know i try to study a lot and you know diving into the internet you know just to to continue to learn whatever that may be that may be business that may be leadership that may be uh a new recipe that may be uh design but i'm kind of always always looking always have my eyes open always thinking and i travel I try to travel as much as possible cuz I think travel travel and reading have been the two biggest influences in my career period.
1: It's 72 hours from now where are you going to be?
0: <laughs> I'm going to be in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess when this airs I'll yeah, be back you'll be from back. Italy you'll but be back. uh but that's you know uh Europe's my favorite place in the world. Um you know and so getting getting to Italy is always always a treat.
1: Let's put it on the list. Um how do you balance risk versus caution, right? Because this is a risk, right? The, the <laughs> next place is a risk. But I think so many times what I've seen is people, the old saying, paralysis by analysis, right, is you don't trust your gut. You don't trust your business partners. You don't make the decision to go. How do you manage those two things?
0: I probably don't manage. Yeah. I probably take too I, – I lean on the too much risk side of things, and it drives me crazy when –
1: so you're and always looking when at the risk you everybody's over
0: saying? analytical about it, no, okay. Okay. I'm yeah, yeah, uh, I'm yeah. always taking risks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm like,
1: yeah, let's let's do yeah. it. This, I think this sometimes feels good. <laughs> sometimes I should <laughs> yeah. you know
0: step back a little more and ask more questions. Yeah. But who doesn't uh,
1: want to walk down a really cool hallway in yeah. this place, man? I mean,
0: this yeah. was an easy one. This, yeah. the Some some are a little harder than others. Um, but uh, you know, I think I, I, as I get older, I'm I'm trying to train myself to take a little less, yeah, risk. Um, and, and that won't be obvious to anybody looking yeah. at all of our plans cause we're constantly opening, but it's maybe what I'm opening, yep. uh, that, that shows how I'm pulling back. Love that. So last few questions here. Um,
1: when, when you hear the word fear, uh, I ask this question, to almost everybody is how many of the fears you've put in your mind have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be?
0: That's, that's interesting. Um, well, so far, <laughs> so far, none of them have. You <laughs> knocked out uh, yeah. wood earlier, right? Yeah, and, uh, and I am a very superstitious I am too. human being. I usually
1: do five knocks on the yeah. head for some I'm reason. I'm three but... on wood. Okay. I don't know.
0: It's a weird thing. I've probably driven Claire uh, absolutely insane with all of. Those. Well, I
1: noticed it. I said a couple of things earlier, and you did the three knocks in the wood, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, that guy's just like me. My son, my second son, especially, man. we he does the five knocks on his head as well. That, that for some reason, that thing that works, it just puts me at peace, and I feel good about it.
0: Yeah, you know, I think fear, fear is again one of those things that I probably need a touch, touch more of. You know, and I think that. Quite honestly, you know, going through the Great Recession as a business owner and going yeah. through uh, COVID have definitely, you know, added a little to that. You know, yeah. they've they've helped me uh, be like, hey, everything it's can be gone you, right. tomorrow. Yeah, uh, and I think that's you know, some of those things are important to to take into account when you're when you're building an actual business like are you really building a foundation that you can that you can stand on or Are you just yeah. kind of building a ton of stuff on quicksand and i think that that's really my focus you know for the next five years is is all in in real large foundational work
1: yeah so our name of our firm is Visionary Wealth Advisors. So a name like that by definition it's, you know, helping people achieve a future right greater yeah. than their past. And that's our mission statement, helping you achieve a future greater than your past. So when you hear those words, future greater than past, what comes to mind for you?
0: I mean, so you know, my 5-year plan yeah. <laughs> uh would would kind of be just that, you know. I think we we have a pretty set vision of where we want to see this company be in five years Mm -hmm. and who we want it to be competing with and, uh, what field we want it to be playing on. Um, and, and that is a lot bigger than it is today. Mm. Um, you know, so, so growth is a big part of our, our vision. Um, but it's also, uh, a very, very focused growth.
1: Yeah. Is that, that, who's in that room? Like how many people are in that room? Not necessarily names, but who, how many people are in that room and what's that process look like for you to, to build that vision out?
0: Sure. Um, you know, so our CFO and, uh, and our chief operating officer, Kate Wolverton, I mean, she's really kind of like, uh, you know, my right hand, uh, and then the business partners, you know, our investors, uh,
1: so they're sitting here, kind of deciding. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how many restaurants we want to open, or whatever it may be. Deciding that, and then how often are you looking at that? All the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're we're constantly evaluating different different deals on a regular basis. You know, if I if I told people, you know, sometimes I think it's worrisome to to people because we're constantly talking about deals. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. they're like. Every week, but they and, probably
1: come across your desk all the time, yeah. too, right? And
0: so, you know, when I think at first it's really hard for some people to be have those conversations, and then you turn those down or whatever. Go, what what happened to that one? Right. And you're like, yeah, it's gone. Yeah, it didn't feel right. Uh, you know, so I think we're we're evaluating all the time. So you are
1: the chief flavor officer for the hat you're supporting there. So yeah, City, City SC, SC, baby. That was awesome. Great go first City. year. So talk to us about soccer. What's uh what are you excited about there?
0: So funny. I was not a soccer fan growing up. Uh, I played one season of soccer, yep. and I sucked. And <laughs> it really made me mad. I was I was a great baseball player at the time, and uh, I did not like uh, how bad I was. And so that was it for me. And so it wasn't until I got involved with uh, Carolyn Kendall, yep. and uh, and. And uh, Lee Brothman over at City SC Mm -hmm. uh, that I started to really fall in love with soccer. And, uh, you know, it's been an amazing journey so far. I think Uh, I've been working with them for, I guess, four years now on this. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of really exciting things planned for the next season. Uh, Season one was, was the coolest experience, you know, I think. Uh, I I missed one game I think I was out of town but uh and you know getting to see those games the energy uh feeling you know getting to work with so many great local restaurant partners you know in in setting that up it's it's just been it's been one of the highlights of my career for sure and
1: talk about that real quick for the person maybe has not been there or it's from another town or city listen to this What's different about it than say the traditional, you know, professional sports stadium?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's different in a number of ways. When you go to a, a professional stadium and you see, say, one of you, you know, some local restaurant there, mm-hmm. and and there's usually maybe like one or two in that in that spot. Uh, oftentimes, it's actually being run by the stadium itself, so the stadium managers. Yep. Um. And so we've done things a lot different at, at uh, City Park. And all of our, all of our vendors run their own stalls, so these are all you know local businesses, and and I think we have something like twenty four wow. right now local restaurant partners throughout the stadium, and quite often you see the owner of all of these businesses right oh, there, cool. you know whether it's uh, Steve Ewing <laughs> handing out hot dogs, Lauren Nallek over there at Balkan treat box um you know and they're standing right there uh you know working working the events and and it is really made for a unique experience because i think not only are you getting the best of the best uh you know as far as restaurants but then you're also getting the highest quality from those because they're doing it themselves
1: Which is in line with the values of that organization, hence the yeah. name of the team, right? I mean, yeah. they could have chosen anything, the logo, the rivers, the arch. I mean, all the stuff that goes with that, I think is cool that they're connected to the city the way and then what they've done for the city as a family is you know ridiculous.
0: I mean, talking about a group of people who walk the talk. Yeah. I mean, uh the 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 owners of the ownership group at City SC and everybody who works there. You know, my my uh my main point of contact is always matt siebeck and i don't know if you know him no. but he's the chief experience officer yeah. down there so everything you touch at the stadium you know he's kind of weighed in on in in some way shape or form and he's you know obsessive you know whether it's you know the lighting and the music and uh you know you know when the all the lights go out yeah. at the stadium you know it's like such a cool you experience. know he's obsessing about all that stuff and it's it's really cool you know their whole they have their own uh production team you know making videos and everything and all of those guys are like movie level producers they're they're incredible and and again all you know so obsessed with with what they do and making that experience great And there's just no way when you have that many people who care so much about what they're doing, yeah. but you're not going to have a great yeah. experience, right.
1: and, and the in the experience of what the fans got from the team, yeah, and then right. the team, yeah. right? I mean, And then the actual, the players, actual players who all on you the pitch,
0: know right? uh, show up so big and are just also so nice, yeah. You know, nice. you know, definitely took a page from the the Cardinals and. Yeah stuff like that. These guys are, you know, class X. Yep.
1: So talk to us about what's going to be happening upstairs here. We're we're in the basement of uh, City Foundry right now, but you got expats, expats coming in there, right? So yep. if I say that correctly. Expat barbecue. Expat yeah. barbecue. Uh, talk to us about that, and that's opening sometime this summer?
0: Yeah, so we're looking at a June opening. Okay. So, And, and the tagline for expats, expat is uh, expat well-traveled barbecue. Mm. And, you know, the idea behind it is to – um, look through the eyes of American barbecue with a filter on it. And that filter is how would you cook American barbecue? If you were living in Spain, if you were living in Africa, you know, if you were living in, uh, in China. And so, you know, what would your pantry look like? And, you know, how would you season your meat? How would you, uh, do all of that to get it close to what you wanted to cook from home so this is this isn't really about trying to say do Chinese barbecue right that's right. not our our intent we have n- no clue how to make Chinese barbecue uh, but this is about how do we use those spices to create American barbecue hmm. uh, like you were living abroad and you know I think when when you talk about those kind of like flavor, transfers you know all of food i've been obsessed with this kind of forever is that all of food uh is connected right if you really really yeah. start to look at like all the noodle dishes around the world and you don't see a connection right. you're insane <laughs> um you know but but you see it all over the place you know you look at like mexican cuisine and the the trompo for the uh al pastor tacos but yeah. you also um, you know, go to, uh, you know, go to Istanbul and you'll see the exact same, yeah. the exact same thing, but with different, different flavors. So these techniques get kind of passed around and the flavors all get passed around. So I've, I've always been very obsessed with travel and how that influences yeah. cooking. You know, I think the the word fusion was thrown around in a lot of very bad ways for, yeah. a, for a long time, but quite frankly, uh, you know, it is you know some type of fusion, and uh, and I think done done with respect, it can be really uh, really unique and really fun. I think at the same time and a
1: cool location too, right? You got a big big balcony up there, or porch. Is yeah, what do you and call so it?
0: this is a three story restaurant, and on the first floor, it's all uh, table service, server more like plates of food. Yep. Uh, the second floor is an event space. And then on the third floor, it's all kind of fast, casual, giant bar, uh, huge patio with garage doors, uh, AstroTurf out there and a stage uh, and, you know, more sandwich oriented. So, you know, kind of taking from the downstairs full plates of barbecue to how do we, you know, how do we make that into, you know, kind of a fun handheld experience upstairs. Well,
1: I can't wait to be there this summer. That is awesome. Last question for you. What would you tell uh, the Gerard of uh, the guy that was washing dishes, right? Just got out of college, (laughs) not got out of college, just dropped out of college and then uh, was washing dishes. What, What advice would you give that guy or the person listening to this right now, man, that may be in a spot that they think, how is that guy's success possible for me? What advice would you give him?
0: I would say that the work ethic you are putting in today uh, will directly translate into uh, to your work 10 years from now. Yeah. You
1: know? Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for being on the circuit of success. It's been awesome having you.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It's great.